arts are everywhere and in everything. And there's a fascinating, unique person and story behind each one. And that's what the Arthropologist is all about. Exploring the arts, one unique person and one unique story at a time. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist. On this week's The Arthropologist, my guest is producer, director, and actor Shane Woodson. Shane, thank you so much for being on The Arthropologist. Uh, Now, we first met, I believe, in 2014 at the Mississippi International Film Festival. Um, I was was a founding member, and it was our first year, and you were premiering Barracuda with your business partner at the time, Christy Oldham. I remember, yeah, man, I remember that movie just blew our doors off. You know, film festivals can sometimes be a real mixed bag. You never quite know what you're going to see. But your movie was spectacular. The acting, the production values were just top notch. And I knew I really wanted to meet you guys. So I struck up a conversation with you two, and we just really hit it off. And I invited you guys back to my home and studio it was great. We had my wife and I had so much time, so much fun meeting you and Christy. Um, so you know that's how we met. And now I'm still here in Mississippi, but you're in LA. And um, let's see, are you doing something back there? Yes. Well, uh, work, working on a, a movie now, a horror film in okay. post production. Okay. And it's uh, it's almost done. It's looking really good. Uh, it's called Eight Days to Hell. Okay. Is that with Eric Roberts? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I saw something about that, and uh, I thought, well, that's cool. I know Eric Roberts. He's a great actor. I mean, I don't know him personally. I know his work. Um, yes. But uh, now, you're in L.A., and I looked at your IMDb, and it's just its amazing. You've starred or co-starred, it says in... Uh, over 90 feature films, television shows, commercials, and stage productions. And some of the talents you've worked with, Vanessa Williams, Cedric the Entertainer, John Voight, Melanie Griffith, you've worked with some amazing talent. And I was looking at the, uh, a, just a short list of some of the things you've been in, Criminal Minds, Heroes, Longmire, Numbers, Two and a Half Men. Uh, just that, That's a pretty impressive uh, file of... Uh, shows to be on and tell me tell me about i did not realize you were in resident evil extinction with uh myla jo, jo, pronounce her name oh mila jovovich mila right. jovovich yes now yeah. it said you were piggy um right what was that character well uh at the beginning of the film there's a distress signal uh kind of a, a person that's uh, SOS signal sent out from this area in Las Vegas. So what we've done is we've baited Alice Mila Jovovich's character to 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 come to get. It's it's basically an ambush. So there were several of us, and I was one of the group of uh, bad guys. You know, baiting her in. It was originally a a much larger role, and. They had, um, for whatever reason, had had, had trimmed trimmed the scene down for the for the final cut, 
which these things happen, which will lead me into another story of why I became an independent filmmaker. But, uh, the, yeah, the, I had fun playing that role. Um, I snorted like a pig at times and did some pretty wild stuff. So one day I, uh, we were, that was filmed in Mexico City, a uh, soundstage there. So I was there for about a week. And um, one day I was uh, arrived early on set, and Mila Jovovich was impersonating my character, Piggy. So she was running around snorting and doing all this funny stuff. So that was a compliment. I got a kick out of that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's funny. Uh, many years ago I was in a movie called Johnson Family Vacation uh, with Cedric the Entertainer and Vanessa Williams. My, I had what easily could have been a career-making role as far as, you know, uh, it, it was an outlandish scene. It, it got cut out of the film. It made it to deleted scenes on the DVD. But that's when I decided to become an independent filmmaker because I didn't want my, my, my you know, work, best work at the time. We're always evolving and hopefully getting a little better as we get older. But I decided, you know, I, I just want to start telling my own stories, and that way I have better control of my fate as an actor with my performances. So I started writing, producing, and directing. My first film was called Cain and Abel, a buddy cop comedy. We had Flavor Flav in it in one of the sporting roles, and it did well. It was back when we still had mom-and-pop video stores, blockbusters across the country. So it made a pretty good amount of money for an independent film, and that was released in 2006. That was my first feature. I made my first short in 1998, uh, a little short film. So I've actually been making films since 1998. That was that was the first one. Wow. Uh, independently, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let's just get right into it then. I'll tell you what, we'll sort of start in a little bit of a chronological order. I know you're from Louisville, Kentucky. So yes. How does a kid from Louisville, Kentucky, get to Hollywood and become become an actor, director, and producer? Well, you know, I, I, I come from, my father was a writer his whole life, and one of my relatives is filmmaker D.W. Griffith. So growing up as a kid, my father, you know, shared shared these stories with me. My grandmother was a painter, so I, I, had, I had the art gene and in, in, in my in my being, although I was more of uh, into playing tennis, basketball, things like that. And what happened? We had a friend, a close family friend, my father's buddy Jack Johnson. He was a character actor and based in L.A. back in the '60s. He had he had done a lot of TV shows, a lot of stage, and I met Jack when I was about eight years old in Louisville. So when I was in high school. Um, I, I got into uh, the theater class senior year. I used to cut school. I'd go to the racetrack. I would do anything, but I, I couldn't stand school. My parents were academics. I didn't like school until I got into the drama class, and then I loved it. So um, that was really where it was born. And then I jumped from once I got out of high school, uh, I landed my first paid acting gig which actually made it on TV, PBS in Kentucky aired it. It was a kind of a, a mock trial. Uh, I played a, a, a young drunk driver, had to learn a lot of lines. They filmed it. That was my first paid acting gig when I was 18. 
And then after that, I did a lot of local theater. Uh, my fam, the family friend who became like the grandfather I never had, Jack Johnson, he, he taught me a lot of tricks to the trade. He said, you got a good look. You ought to do more stuff on camera. I did my first movie that was shot in the Kentucky area called The Congress of Wonders in 1993. So I turned 21 on set, had one of the leads. It was a well-made film that aired again on PBS. And then after that, did... did um, some local commercials, did an Army training film, KFC training films. And then in 1995, when I was 23, or 22, going on 23, decided to take a crack at Hollywood, moved to Los Angeles. And uh, I've been here off and on ever since. So I came out here not knowing anyone, not having any connections, and just had to axe to the grind. I literally just had to... You know, make ends meet wasn't easy. I, I bought a motorcycle to keep my bills down. Uh, you know, I had my headshots, of course, back then. It was black and white headshots. And, you know, just going to auditions, everything, you know, you could do to get an audition, get an agent, kind of climb the ladder, do a good job, hopefully, you know, network, meet some people. But that that was kind of how it, how it started. I never, as a kid, thought I'd be an actor. I just kind of stumbled into it my senior year in high school and, it was, I, I knew when I did it the first time, I was in a musical, Cole Porter's Anything Goes, when I had that, that rush that I got on stage and the excitement, I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just knew it. I had never been so excited about something uh, as I was the acting. And, and I feel the same way about filmmaking. So I, I love both and they go hand in hand. Uh, never went to film school, but I got my training just by being in so many different productions, seeing how it's done. I learned a lot. Actually, a lot of what you do in theater crosses over uh, into the world of film in, in a lot of ways. And then you learn some tricks about the camera. But it's, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, it makes me happy. There are a lot of ups and downs, of course. But... Uh, it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world when it's the right kind of role. And, you know, when you're, as a filmmaker, you just, the payoff is, is you know, you want your work, your best work, to, to reach as many people as possible. To me, that's the, that's the payoff, you know, is make something really well and, 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 and you, you want people to see your work and, and be entertained. Right. Well, you know, you've touched on a lot of things, and I want to sort of, go back and I tell you what um, I, I do want to go back before I forget because I don't want to gloss over this you mentioned that your dad was a writer um, he was actually a very impressive writer he was nominated twice for a Pulitzer Prize and uh, I'm sure you're really proud of your dad and I, I think I saw that you lost him in 2011 so yeah. um, would you just speak about him for a second because I, I think your listeners would be fascinated to hear just a little bit about your dad and, and, and what kind of guy he was. Well, he, he was my best friend. Uh, he, he was, um, I was an only child, so I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And we did so many fun things together. You know, we would, we would go to the racetrack. We would go to auction houses. He was an art dealer on the side, so we always had some interesting pieces in, in, in the house. Uh, 
signed signed Picasso limited edition lithographs, artist proofs. We had some Renoir etchings. We had uh, all all kinds of interesting art growing up. That that in itself was was uh, was always fun. But he um, what what was really cool when I was let's see this would have been in 1998. Uh, he wrote a uh, a play because I was I was doing a lot of theater at the time, and he wrote a play called The Dodge, which was about uh, draft dodging, about the Vietnam War, and these three best friends that grow up in a small town in Kentucky, um, all of which have been drafted to the Vietnam War. So there's a motorcycle gang in the story, uh, the leader of which is a former Medal of Honor winner. So the play, he wrote the play, I directed it, and played one of the main roles. And that was actually one of the um, one of the two Pulitzer nominations was for that play. So that was, that was a real highlight uh, for him. And it was great for me because it's my dad, he's my best friend, and, you know, he, 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 um, he wrote it, so it was it was super cool to uh, to see that come to life and and to get that kind of attention. Uh, recently, um, I made a movie called Tidy Thames, which is an adaptation of my father's uh, other play that he wrote uh, called The Closer. We changed the name to Tidy Thames when he was in the hospital uh, in. 2011, not doing well. I, I promised him. I said, "Daddy, I'm going to make, I'm going to make Tidy Thames. If it's the last thing I ever do, I don't know how I'm going to get the money, how I'm going to make it, but I, I wanted, I wanted it to be uh, the best film I've made. And I, I'm just, I wish, I know he would be so happy and so proud if he could have, if he could have seen how it came out. It would have been a real joy for him." Uh, that's it's very bittersweet for me because I, I love how the film came together. We we got a distribution deal. It's out there, but it's bittersweet because he never got to see um, got to see it. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you shared that with us because uh, you know I don't like to focus too much on myself, but uh, our family has a production company that we started years ago and that our son runs. And it's just, it's so much fun to work with him on a movie or a television commercial. You know, we'll do different jobs, but it just, it it really means a lot working with your family in the industry. And I kind of thought that was the case with you, but I, I wanted to hear your story. And, and that's, that's just amazing that that was that, collaborative effort that you guys did together it was it was it was wonderful uh, the um the the play the closer which became tidy thames was originally uh 40 46 pages and what i ended up doing is i i added it was it was really cool how it came out an equal 46 pages of, of new pages so together we had 92 pages, and as I, I knew him so well, I, I that and his characters and what he had what he had laid out, that I just drew from my own experiences from these. It's a very eclectic story, and the characters are, are kind of larger than life. So 
just um, I had a lot of fun. It was it was like it was a way of communicating with him again, without him, you know, being being here. Right. Uh, so it was it was it was a, a very fun experience to uh, to do that. Um, again, bittersweet, but but I it was it was uh, it was a lovely experience, and I'm just glad. My mother um, was uh, she she worked with my father in the sense she more of an et, in an editorial sense. Uh, they met on a newspaper back in 1970 in Louisville. She was a reporter and he was the managing editor, and uh, so she she told me and it meant a lot to me when she said she said your your daddy'd be very proud. He would he would really like he would really love Tidy Tim. So. That's uh, that makes me feel good, you know, nice. and, and that's that, you know, Bill, and that's what's beautiful about art. Being an artist yourself, it's 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 the only thing that's lasting in life, you know. Van Van Gogh's been gone for all all, all the all the great painters, musicians, uh, writers, uh, poets, um, you know, been been gone for years, but their work lives on. So that's. That's what's that's what's great about uh, art, you know. It's, it's it's and you can and you can always you can always learn from it, and you can always it's um, it's just a it's an awesome thing. It really is. It, it takes you out it takes you out of yourself, and 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 it's just a it's a positive, enriching uh, thing. So right. So now, when you were talking earlier, you were saying you just sort of picked up and moved to LA that I mean you'd been in you know doing theater and things like that in Louisville but and a little bit of, I think TV commercials but you really didn't go to school for this you didn't uh, go to film school or anything like that um, you just sort of walked in and tried to get into the industry through the side yeah. door and that's very much the way uh, I've gotten into the film industry I certainly did not go to school f for it and had no conception that I'd ever be in it, and just by hook and crook wound up getting into it. Uh, but there are plenty of film schools out there, and I know with, for some of my listeners, there'll be young people or even older people who might want to get into the industry. How do you, do you have an opinion? Uh, if someone were to ask your advice, you know, like Shane, how do I get into the movie industry? What would you tell them? Uh, no matter if, if you want to be an actor or if you want to be a, a, a director, um, I, I would say the same thing to everyone is it just, it's just jump in, you know, just get a camera. If, if you want to make movies, get a, well, in, these days you can just use your cell phone. It's, it's quite amazing, but, uh, start, start, take baby steps first, start small. Um, if you want to be a filmmaker, um, you know, say you have a, a, a favorite story or favorite film, uh, an original story you want to tell of your own, uh, start small with a short subject, maybe something two to five minutes long, and come up with your basic beginning, middle, and end, and, and spend some time uh, meditatively just sort of visualizing what you've written, you got to write a little script, and then and then, as you wrote it, what pictures did you see in your mind? So draw those, or uh, make notations, or 
find similar pictures on the internet or in books, and then literally go capture those images. And um, if you can't edit, you know, there, there are people that can, but you just kind of, my, my advice would be just to do it. Uh, that's, that's one approach. If, if, if you've always wanted to act, then, you know, find, find a local community theater that's holding auditions or um, there, there's so many things you can do. There's, there's, there's so many um, venues on, on, on the Internet where you can show your work and share your work. So I would say literally just jump in with both feet and do it. Uh, certainly uh, the other approach would be, and, and I don't think there's any right or wrong approach, if, if you have the desire to do it, um, yeah, go to, you can, you can take acting classes, you can go to film schools. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. Age is just a number. So uh, I don't think there's any right or wrong approach to it. It's just taking that first step and committing yourself to doing it. If you want, if the want is there, then then you'll do it. And right. something my father taught me years ago about writing, he said, you know, if you have an idea, don't uh, don't spend your time um, telling it to everyone, and then it'll it'll take the motivation away. Keep it to yourself and get it on the paper. And that helped me uh, tremendously when he told me that because you can talk your idea out. You can get the high by telling eight or ten friends, and they're like, oh, oh, Shane, that's a great idea. Wow, wow, wow. And then, you know, then you never do it. So, and I would say the same thing about acting. If you really want to act, then then just do it. You know, even if it starts out doing impersonations for family member and friends, if it starts out that, um, um, you know, in a very simple manner like that, but then just, it's just going to grow. You're going to get better. And it's, it's, it's practice. You know, the, the more we practice something, the better, the better we get at it. That's right. the other thing. So same thing with sports. If you're going to be good at basketball or baseball or tennis or football or whatever, you're going to have to get your practice in. And then you're going to have to, if, if, if you're good at it, then get some professional training. Right, and then and then it just gets better and better. But I would just say to anyone out there that wants to that wants to be an actor or a filmmaker, just start doing it. It's 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 really not that hard. No, and what's real interesting now, you're not nearly as old as I am, but even in your lifetime, you know how the industry has changed. And back when I was a kid, especially, but even when you were a kid, there weren't that many productions being shot outside of Hollywood or L.A. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now. Oh my gosh, it's everywhere. And right. uh, in my experience, just getting on set, even if you're a PA, a production assistant, just getting coffee, fetching stuff, um, it gets you in. And uh, I want you to speak about this because it's been my experience that the movie industry is all about relationships. It is one of the most relationship-driven industries around and you can get on set being a PA and which is really about the lowest job there is and but if you've got skills for something else there's that old saying in dating there's Mr. Right and there's Mr. Right Now and if the director needs something and all of a sudden they realize you can do it you're hired and that could be the start of of a career um, have you experienced some of that could you talk about that where just being on set has made 
even if it was a job you didn't necessarily want, but it led to more things. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, the experience I've had with that has been more from the standpoint of when I'm directing. If I see uh, someone on set uh, could have a very small part, I, I, or, or, or not even a role at all. I've, I've, I've had, I had a, a guy, for example, a young man who was a, a PA in my first feature film, but he had a good attitude, and he had a he had a a look on on camera that that I saw to where he could, he could play one of the smaller roles. And I asked him if he wanted to do it. And he was great. So you you have crossovers all the time. You have people that are um, they're hired to be on set for one job and end up doing something else that an elevated position. So my own experience as an actor having been on set uh, and all the, the projects I've been in, the, the best thing you can do as an actor is, is show up on time with a great attitude, arrive with a smile on your face, uh, uh, a smile on your face when you leave set, your last day on set, uh, build bridges, don't burn them down. And the quickest way to not work in Los Angeles, because as big as this city is, as small as the industry is, it's a strange thing. Uh, anyone who's a troublemaker, word gets around really fast. So you, you gotta just have a good attitude, do your work, and, and know your place. If you're there to act, just act. You know, Don't throw your two cents in on how to direct, even though you could be a filmmaker or have aspirations to, to do other positions just show up do your job well and that will that will keep you coming back for for more jobs you know the director will remember you maybe refer you to another friend who's a filmmaker or producer and that's the, that's one of the easiest ways to to get future jobs is to just do your job well and and not and have a good attitude attitudes everything I won't cast actors that have a bad attitude or I'm able to, to deem could be troublemakers in any way. The, the, the job of a true independent filmmaker is hard enough as it is without, you know, dealing with troublemakers. But um, that's, that's been my experience uh, with, with that, you know, with, with being on set and, you know, having people jump into other positions. I, I tend to hire multitaskers, the people I work with. My my director of photography that I've uh, been working with regularly, uh, he, he also does his, he can do his own lighting. So it, it simplifies things. You don't have to have as many people on set. Uh, my uh, production sound man, he's a one-man wrecking crew. He has his six slobs, he has his boom, he has his mixer right there, so it's very quick, very simple. Um, my uh, AD slash storyboard artist also is a data transfer guy, so I, I have a, a, a small crew of multitaskers. Wow. And as, as opposed to a big budget Hollywood films, there's a lot of waste. Uh, because they have huge budgets, you have a lot of people standing around. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not coming down on them. It's just I don't have the resources they have uh, financially. So um, I, I hire, you know, guys and gals that, that, that multitask. So, so we're lean and mean, and there's no waste. 
um, I, I know what I want when, when I'm going into a scene, so I'm able to shoot it very quickly, efficiently, get a lot of coverage, which is always good for editing. Sometimes, sometimes what you have in your mind as a filmmaker uh, most of the time works, but not always. So you have to keep an open mind. And and in, in editing, the more films you make, the more you realize it's it's about choices. Have different variations on the actors' performances. Uh, you can have one a little more animated. You can have one a little more realistic. It it, de it depends on the scene, but choices are good. And when you get to the the editing of the of your film, you want to have a lot of coverage, and you want to have the ability to potentially shape the scene in a, in a different way, a way you may not originally thought would work, might actually work the best. So it's good to keep an open mind, uh, you know, every every step of the way. Have fun, be prepared, uh, and and uh, and keep an open mind. Right. You know? um, well, since we're in this direction, <clears throat> I think your uh, production company is called Pegasus Flying Films, is that right? You got it, that's it. Tell us a little bit about that. Well... Pegasus Flying came to be, I got the name from having grown up in Louisville, Kentucky, home of the Kentucky Derby, uh, first Saturday of May every year, and one week prior to Derby Day, we have what's called the Pegasus Parade, so um, the winged Pegasus, and you've got the parade, you've got the steamboat race, uh, Belle Louisville versus Usually the Delta Queen. We have the we have the the balloon balloon race, great balloon race. So we, we have all these things going on Derby Week, but the Pegasus Parade is what kicks it off. So uh, coming from horse country in Louisville and uh, you know Kentucky is where most of the uh, horse horse uh, breeding is is done in the state. So that's that's why I chose Pegasus uh, with with the um, because of the Pegasus Parade and because of my background, uh, my father was also, uh, he used to write for the Daily Racing Forum. And he had his own tip sheet called Lucky's Best Bets at Churchill Downs. So I used to, as a, as a kid, I used to sell tip sheets outside Churchill Downs to make a few bucks. And <laughs> so uh, that, that was how I decided to pay homage to, to my hometown and to my background. I, I wanted to be a racetrack announcer at one point before I got into acting. Um, so these are, these are the reasons why I chose Pegasus Flying. And, and um, uh, yeah. What genre of films do you tend to, to make? I've actually, I've made, I've made five features. The first was a urban comedy. The second was a social message film, Barracuda. We, we spoke of earlier. Right. Uh, the third film I made was called The Legend of Black Annie, horror film. The fourth film was the comedy Tidy Thames, which is uh, kind of a film anyone can watch. It's kind of more along the lines of a PG-13, which I'd never made something like that. My current film is a horror anthology, Eight Days to Hell. So each film has been different. Uh, two horror films, however, one, one is a... Um, you know, based on urban legend, the current one is a horror anthology. 
the two comedies are different in a sense. One's urban comedy, and then the other one is uh, more of a. Um, it's it's just kind of an eclectic film. So they've they've all been a little different, and I like that. I'd like to make a western one day. Um, I'd like to uh, possibly make a um, uh, children's animated uh, story, bring that to life that my father wrote. So I have. I, I like to do different things. I like to mix it up. Okay. So. Um, well, uh, then in general, all things being equal, uh, it, it seems like you're just whatever project comes up at the time that you're really kind of open to any um, any genre. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I'm passionate about the story, if I believe in the story, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what it's about. As as long as it it has value. And and I feel it's it, it it will entertain in a in a clean and good way. Um, then I'm interested in it. I, I have to really believe in it though, because it's the way I do it is so hard, and it it, it always takes two or three years of work um, from the from fundraising to pre-production to production to post-production to uh, the film festival and or marketing stage, and then to getting a deal. So. It's. I've never had children, but the films are kind of my kids, <laughs> in a weird way, I guess you could say, because it's so hard. Each one requires so much, and as I've gotten older, it's it's certainly not not gotten any easier. Is to there do this stuff. is there one genre of film more difficult to make than other, or one easier to make than another? I I, I actually probably. My my favorite thing is comedy. Uh, I, I really enjoy making comedies because as, as hard as it is, at least when you're acting and when you're or when you're directing and you're dealing with funny subject matter or what you hope is funny, uh, there's there's a lightheartedness to that 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 that's a good escape from from the rigors and the and the pain of of, of making a film. Yeah. Uh, when you're making a horror film, well, it's kind of a horror to make a film in the first place. So when what you're bringing to the screen is more horror and, <laughs> and gore and whatever. It's like you, you never get a, a, a respite. You never get a break from it. So I, I, I've had more fun doing the comedies. However, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's really how it looks is what matters when you're done with it. So. Right. Well, it sounds like, so you're, you're an actor, you're a director, you're a bunch of things, but you're also a producer and an executive producer for your films, right? Yeah, I've pretty much done, I, I've had to do, which I don't enjoy because of low budgets. I, I have to, I've, I've written or co-written all the stories. I've directed them all, the features, that, the five features I've made. I either play a lead role or a major supporting role. I do the storyboards, I do the casting, I've built sets, I've done wardrobe, I've done props, I've done, I do all the contracts, I pay all the bills, I raise the money, um, I, I hire the entire um, team of, of uh, camera department as well as post-production. I'm there every step of the way of editing, making the decisions on that, on the music, all the contracts for music, uh, and then it's up to me to take the film to the film festivals to get in, to market, and I'm the man who 
delivers to the distributor, which is a hard thing to do, the deliverables. I do all that. So I pretty much am in charge of every every step of the way from raising the first dollar to signing on the dotted line at the end. So I do about 10 or 12 positions, and that's what takes its toll. Directing is easy. Acting is easy. Um, the producing duties are gruesome, are, are, are my least favorite thing to do. Yes, my, my son is a producer, an executive producer, and he excels at it. Uh, he's working on some really big productions. Um, yeah. I help him sometimes sort of as an assistant, and I, f- I find producing to be the least tasteful aspect of the entire business. It's just so hard. I mean, just you, you're dealing with money, you're dealing with contracts, you're dealing with uh, subtleties and nuances in law sometimes as far as raising yeah. money. And yeah. it just, oh my gosh, it'll just just make you old before your time. And uh, it yeah. takes a special person to do all of that. So my hat's off to you on that. And it's a real, well, I mean, in the big world, producers and executive producers are the ones who make the most money for them except yeah. for maybe the star but uh oh my gosh most people don't know what they do and you, i don't think you even go to school for that it's not like you have executive producer class you know 101 or something it's it's, it's a it's it's a hard thing to do it's it's uh it's a dirty job yeah. <laughs> but someone has to do it yeah uh at, at times it can be easy i i guess I wouldn't – producing would be the, la- the last thing I would ever want to do. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be so bad if that was all I was doing. But when you, you wrap it all together and then even location scouting, getting the locations, every, every last detail, and, and then being the person, if there's a problem, they call out my name. Shane, yeah. Shane, Shane, here we go. So what what fire do I have to put out now? Right. Um, um, yeah, it's it's – it's not easy. Along, but it's necessary. Along these lines, this is a good segue. What are your hours and days like when you're in full production mode? So. Oh wow! When I'm in full production mode, it it's it's pretty rough. The the rough the roughest for me, and I really have to be mentally and physically in top shape. It's it's almost like training for the Olympics. For me, I, I I'll I'll start uh, eating really healthy foods, doing push-ups, running 15, 20 miles a week. This is usually what I do before a feature. I, I really work myself out uh, to 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 literally make it through the, the three weeks. I usually the days uh, like for example on Tidy Thames, I played the lead in the film, I directed and did every other position, so. My days would start at 4 a.m. and go till about midnight. So I had 20-hour days for three weeks in a row, and it's it's it it really takes its toll. You just it's so hard when your head hits the pillow, right? And and you know and you know you only have two, three, four hours sleep. It's so hard to to get yourself up off the mat. And 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 go in for another round. You know, you feel like you're a boxer getting 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 you know punched for for another for another day. And at the end of it, 
at the end of it, you feel punch drunk. At the end of it, it's, uh, I remember the feeling I always have is it's the next day after I've finally gotten some rest when I have to return equipment or I have to, you, you feel like you've just been released. I've never been in prison, but I, but it's, it's like you've been just released uh, from, from jail or, or being locked up. Yeah. And there's a feeling of euphoria in that sense that, you know, chains and shackles you're loose from, but then there's also the, the fatigue. So it's, a, it's like a, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. You know, you're seeing the sun, the sunlight again, you're smelling fresh air and it's, um, it's a good feeling actually. It's, it's weird to describe the feeling of freedom. Yeah. And less, and less the listen listeners think uh, well I mean he's working all these different jobs basically it's been my experience and the experience of everyone I've ever talked to that if you work in the movie industry a 12-hour day is average or a short day 14 16 hour days are common six days yeah. a week for yeah. two three four weeks at a time and it's just absolutely brutal it's uh, brutal it's brutal. That's the best way to describe it. It's brutal. The longest I've ever been up is 60, 62 hours straight on my first feature, Cain and Abel. I had a, a run of, of basically um, three three days in a row that I, I, I never slept. I never stopped. I literally, you know, um, had a 22-hour day of filming, a 21-hour day of filming, a 20-hour day of filming, and, and, and got no rest in between because I was prepping for the very next day. And and at the end of that, I had a VW van at the time, a 1971, that was my production vehicle slash it was one of the props in the film. And I'm driving that thing back to my apartment in Hollywood, and I literally had to slap myself across the face about every 30 seconds. To, to, to stay awake, to, to, to shift it through the gears and get it home safely. That's how exhausted I was. And at the time, I was much younger. So it was, that's how, how exhausted I was. Really, really difficult. How does that affect your family life? Well, if I had a wife and kids, I, it, 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 it probably would have led to a divorce years ago. But I have never been married. I've 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 been in some long term relationships, uh, but um, it, it put a lot of strain on some of the relationships. I'll I'll say that you know because uh, you know time time you should you should spend with your your gal your you know yet again producer related duties or casting. There's always something so. Um, it's it's hard it's hard to date uh, a, a woman in the industry as a filmmaker because you can never get away from it the industry so yet uh, the the gals in the industry that I've met are understand me the best of what I go through so it's a uh, catch twenty two yeah I worked on a movie a number of years ago that had a a young guy who was a gaff, uh, who was the gaffer, and he was real good. Um, yeah. And but one of the requirements that he had was that his girlfriend, you had to hire her too, and she worked yeah. in props or wardrobe, something like that. So, 
Yeah. I, I thought, what a wise, smart young man that he realizes that if he wants a relationship, they're going to have to do it together. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that was a, that was a cool thing to do, and that is that is smart. Yeah, that yeah. way you you get to be around one another. Yeah, of course. And, uh, he was yeah, he, he was super talented. He was the I talked to the cinematographer for a few minutes, and he said, "Oh yeah, he's a hot shot. He's really, really something else." So he was able to write his own ticket a little bit and sort of make that demand. Um, yeah. And uh, I want to ask you about for some of the listeners who might, again, be thinking about getting into the industry, how do you get through the hard times? You know, there are times where there's either no work, slow work, or work, but not really what you want. So, you know, how do you grapple with that and get through those times? You have to have a side hustle. What what What's helped me is, I, I, I own some property out of state, rental property, and I, I get a uh, that that's helped me. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is I restore classic cars and motorcycles on the side. It's it's I'm I'm good with my hands. It's something that I enjoy. I've always been a classic car uh, kind of guy. So my advice would be find something you really dig that you're able to to dictate your own hours or it can it can be a part-time job as long as there's flexibility as long as they understand that um you know you you need to leave for an audition or you're out of town for a couple weeks on on an acting job uh what's worked best for me is the rental property because i i i know how to keep them run it find good tenants do the most of the repairs myself, the upkeep, and then the classic cars. It's just such a passion of mine. I um, I'm always able to make a little bit of money off, off them, and I enjoy doing it. And and you know it's it's something I set my own schedule. So uh, I've I've been cast in a movie that shoots in Kentucky in a few weeks. So I have the flexibility to leave town and do that. And then when I come back. Um, I can finish. I'm working on a 62 Ford Ranchero. I'm res- going to restore to to flip. So I would I would say find find something that's agreeable to you, uh, that you don't mind doing, and that's steady. Yet at any given point, you can walk away from it for a few weeks or a month or even a few months and then come back to it. That yeah. seems to be the best thing to do. Yeah. In my and- opinion. And that's been real helpful for me in that uh, uh, it's real funny. I have sort of an odd position where when I'm on movie sets, people will say, is this what you do full time? And I'll say, well, no, actually, my real job is I'm an artist illustrator. But sometimes when the art or illustration is slow on that side, people will say, well, what do you do when things are slow? Oh, I go work in movies or I work in the television industry. So it... uh, uh, yeah, that's my experience too. That sometimes things is just it gets slow in one area, and having jobs like you're talking about, where you've got that flexibility, then you can up and leave for weeks or sometimes months at a time. Uh, I've got written here. You know, you worked on the Young and the Restless. Did you do that yeah. for very long? I was I was uh, on eight episodes in eight episodes. Of okay. The Young and the Restless. And where yeah. that where that plays into this is 
as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, soap operas have a reputation of being brutal even in the film industry. That a lot of people is just like, I can't do soap operas. That's just, it's just never ending. Um, did you sort of see that, that it would be like, you know, if you get into this, you're really committed to... Well, yeah, I actually enjoyed it. I actually wouldn't mind doing more of it. Uh, I had the I, I had a recurring role on a soap opera called Passions, which was on NBC some years ago, and I really had fun. I played a bumbling security guard. There were two of us, uh, myself and my good friend Britt Prentice, who's actually been in a lot of my films. Uh, he's a very funny guy. So I really enjoyed that experience, and I was like, you know, I actually wouldn't mind doing this regularly. So to me it was, I think because of, you know, having grown up doing so much theater, it's, 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 um, they have multiple cameras. They usually have four or five cameras going. And as long as you, you know your lines, is you literally on action, you do it, and they're moving on. As long as there wasn't a major flub, it's that quick, well, which which is really cool. And in the world of film, it's 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 painstaking. I mean, you you might do on one camera setup, you you might do twenty, thirty, forty, fifty takes. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me as an actor, and I've I've done that as a director. It, either someone can't get the line, they're not delivering delivering it the way you want it. It's an important moment or their technical difficulties or a combination thereof. So, But with soap operas, as long as you know your lines, it goes really fast. And, and it's, it's, kind, it's kind of fun because you get, you get, you get the sense of um, it's, it's more like live theater, you know. You, you, you get that feel. Um, yeah. So I actually, I, actually enjoy, I actually enjoyed it all, all the times I did it. Well, and the other positive is that I don't know about you. You may this may not bother you, but I like going into a closed set that's inside, out of the weather. It's the same place over and over again, and it's not like okay, well, we're going to be out, take a bus out into the boonies, and yeah. using porto potties, and you're there all day long, and then you got to take a bus all the way back into town and it's just nice having and you're outside in the cold in the mud in the yuck <laughs> there, there's a lot that I, I would see uh would be a positive for soap operas because that's i guess they have occasional outside scenes but for the most part they're inside and regular ish hours. yeah it's pretty, pretty much we we shot that at cbs television city um, where they shoot the prices right, and that was where we did the Young and the Restless, and then Passions was actually filmed on the CBS Radford lot, where they used to shoot Gilligan's Island back in the sixties. Ah, uh, awesome! Uh, so that was that was really cool. They, they've actually got a street called Gilligan's Island Way. I think there's a like soundstage number two, which is still there. Yeah. Um, where where they they shot 
um, a lot of the stuff. And the, where the lagoon was is now a parking lot, but it's called the lagoon parking lot. So these are all cool things as an actor when you when you're walking on historic grounds like that. It's it's really fun. Yeah. Um, it's it's neat. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, the 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 comfort of doing a soap opera is you're, you're, you're taking the element. The elements can be your enemy. You know, wind for sound, uh, heat for the actors and crew, and extreme heat, like desert heat. You can have heat strokes. Or, there are a lot of um, things that can happen, or, or just, uh, you know, it, it can rain out of the blue. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things can go wrong. But on a sound stage, it's very controlled. So you're taking a lot of the problems out of the potential problems out of the equation yeah um thinking about when you got started what were some of your the greatest challenges for you to be able to work consistently you know to know that um i know you have your side gigs but there's a difference between doing side gigs occasionally and just a complete drought of work um uh, what were some of the biggest challenges you had uh, to getting known enough where you could work, you know, somewhat consistently? Well, initially it was figuring out how to get in the Screen Actors Guild because I had I had to get in the, the guild to have opportunities at the, at the big stuff, at the good stuff. So that was, that was an early challenge. Uh, keep, keeping the, the bills down. I had a roommate. Uh, Fortunately, just a just a like a, like a brother to me. We're, we'll always be friends. I actually talked to him earlier today, my friend Gene, about the NCAA basketball pairings. But that helped. Um, yeah, I had a motorcycle to keep the bills down. So so really early on, you gotta you gotta really watch where you spend the money. You gotta really have a super super lean budget and. Um, you know, when you when you do get an acting job, maybe you get a few thousand dollars out of it, whatever you get, you, you got to pretend that, that that money doesn't exist and put it in savings or put it in the bank and you can't you can't blow it. You go buy a flat screen TV or, you know, a, a used car or whatever, you, you, or it'll be gone and then you're being worse shape than you were before you got it. So you got to really, uh, and you have to invest, you have to invest in, Better pictures. You gotta keep your pictures updated. Your headshots. Uh, you gotta have some um, a website. You know, if you're an actor, and you gotta be on a lot of um, all the casting websites. Keep everything current. You gotta have your reels on there. So really, it's the financial end of it is the hardest thing to juggle in in, in the in the first. It might not even be the first year, two or three years. It might take ten years or longer. It, it can. To, to get any kind of good traction going. So for some people, it never happens. You know, you, you can you can be, it's not good enough to be talented, but you got to somehow get plugged in. And um, I was very plugged into the acting uh, some years ago. I was doing a lot of stuff, but I unplugged myself to, to make my independent films, which was, which was a big chance, you know, and, and it's certainly paid off artistically but it's um you know it's it's you you can't you can't do everything 
You know, there's only so much time in the day, so you just have to prioritize what's important to you at that time in your life and, and go all in on that. One of the things I wanted to do was see um, if you had any kind of onset stories or something like that, something uh, really fun, you know, like your most embarrassing or most dangerous or surprising uh thing to happen to you on set or something like that okay oh yeah I've, I've got i've got a lot of a lot of things that have happened so i we i remember one time i was filming uh cain and abel my first feature and i played an undercover cop john abel my my best friend in the film is malcolm kane and we are the scene we were filming two street walkers we're, we're busting. Uh, we have them in the back seat of a 69 Chevy Impala. And, you know, we're, we're basically pull out the badge. You know, we're, we're trying to get information out of them on, on someone in the story. Well, they were dressed in a very provocative manner, of course. High heels, mini skirts, uh, a lot of makeup. And uh, a, a couple of, um, a group of gang members. We were in a rough neighborhood in Hollywood. Uh, really getting a kick out of watching the scene, but they were—they weren't causing problems. They were just watching across the street as we were filming. Well, one of the gals really got their attention. I started whistling at her and making some uh, kind of uh, inappropriate comments, and she flew off the handle. She she flipped them the bird. There were it, 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 it escalated very quickly. And uh, I think a couple of these guys were more than likely armed. So I had to, my buddy and I, we, we just, we, we calmed the situation down really fast. We apologized, you know, on behalf of, of our actress that was not making things easier. And I said, okay, we're, we're breaking camp. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're going to a different location right now. And we're going to pick up the rest of this scene in a different part of town. That that could have that could have been a big problem. Uh, another thing that happened on Eight Days to Hell, filming. We were filming again in a rough area of downtown Los Angeles, uh, a, a, a strangling scene. So one of the leads in the film is is strangled by one of the other leads, and a, a, a person was screaming bloody murder out of a high-rise apartment building. I mean, you wouldn't have believed the sounds that were coming. I don't know what was going on in this building. And, and probably in a, within a few minutes, helicopters were all over the area. The helicopters' spotlights were on our car. They were focused on us. A SWAT team was on the way. And my cameraman held up his camera to show we don't have a weapon. It's a movie camera. We're filmmakers. But they were coming after us. So, <laughs> again, I broke... I broke camp, and for the next probably hour or so, there's helicopters everywhere. And uh, wow. I, I don't know if it was a misunderstanding. Maybe there was a, a, a crazy person was certainly in this apartment building. They probably were called to take care of that and wondered why we were there, and it looks like someone's getting strangled in a car. I don't know, but that was unsettling. Um, there have been things with equipment, 
I remember one day we had lights everywhere, old Fresno lights. They burn a lot of electricity, the power cords all over the sidewalks, and it just randomly starts to rain. There was not rain in the forecast, so now you worry about someone getting electrocuted. Wow. Uh, we've had picture cars break down in the middle of filmmaking, of course, because they're older. We've had keys locked in picture cars when we literally have to get one more shot. We've, uh, we shot a scene in an actual prison uh, in Barracuda. So some of the guys behind bars were spitting and, and trying to claw at the lead actress. Uh, it's there's been so many things that that have happened um, uh, with 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 actors or can be temperamental. You know, they can storm off set, they can throw hissy fits. Uh, pretty much have experienced uh, you know a lot of a lot of challenges yeah <laughs> through, throughout the years yeah those are some of them yeah of all the famous people you've worked with who did you enjoy working with the most oh let's see um mr t mr t was great eric roberts was great flavor Flav was great um mila jovovich was great uh Gosh, um, I've had I've had pretty good experiences actually with with all the celebrities I've worked with. Joe Montana was a very nice guy. Um, I haven't I haven't had a I haven't had a bad experience uh, actually al along those lines. Oh, nice. You know? Yeah, nice. yeah. Uh, John Voight is is a is a great guy. James Caan. Um, they, they've all, I haven't had a bad experience with any of the celebrities I've worked with. They've, they've all been very classy and, and, uh, and just, and just on point. Um, it's, it's been, it's, it's, it's been a really, a really good experience. Have you got any maybe regrets or miss, missteps, miss opportunities that looking back, you go, wow, if I had known then what I know now, I would have done things a little bit differently and, my career might would have been a little bit better or things would have just you know turned out a little bit different there there there's really only been a, a couple of things one thing that comes to mind is is i i was up for one of the main roles of the tv show sons of anarchy and i had just done resident evil extinction zodiac and a movie with many drivers so i was on a hot streak and i had an opportunity to play the role of opie on oh. uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and had just gotten into a, a, a major argument with my girlfriend at the time, literally. And and this this was a pattern. Whenever I would have a major audition or opportunity at something, for whatever reason, she would choose to instigate a, a, a major argument, which was always... It's, it's hard enough as it is to to nail a, a major audition, but I was not in the best frame of mind, unfortunately, which, which is my own fault. I can't blame someone else, but going into that one and I had ridden my motorcycle. I had a classic motorcycle at the time. So I was, you know, to, to help, you know, be in the, the vibe all the way of the character. And I just, I just was a little off that day. I usually, uh, do, do, very well at auditions, but I was just a little bit off that day, 
and not really um, in the zone like I should have been. And unfortunately, that was that would have been a career maker right there. Oh yeah. Um, there really haven't been too many times I've I've dropped the ball. It wasn't a bad audition. It just you know to get something like that, it's got to be the best of the best. You got to be on your A game. I was a little off that day, so. I don't have any regrets, though, about anything because um, it's part of what, you know, makes us who we are today. Right. And and I'm, I'm accepting of that. So yeah. uh, that's that's really one of the few things that comes to mind um, okay. was, was that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, well, of course, like we established earlier, you're in L.A. Are you planning on staying in L.A.? That's a little bit. That's a little bit up in the air right now. I've I've got um, you know I've got a duplex in, in Kentucky and a couple other pieces of property. I've I kind of I kind of have the one house set up to move back to someday. I figure I'll probably retire in my hometown and uh, I I have I have unfinished business in L.A. I, I'm finishing my my movie, which should be done by May first completely the trailers done all you know we're doing color correction now and 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 the sound work so i'm going to kind of see where things are at when i get this movie done it depends on what kind of deal i can get for it um if i can get a good deal for the movie i would be inclined to stay longer and probably segue into um you know landing some major acting roles because it's a lot easier for me just to act um, than it is to make another truly independent feature film. Right. So it's a little in the air. I have to see how the current film does. I know I'll find a home for it. It'll get a distribution deal, but um, for it to do what I want it to do, it's going to have to go with a major label. It's going to have to go with a big company that can actually have, has the, the, the funding and, and the deep pockets to, to promote it because no film, no matter how good it is, is going to be very successful with without without proper promotion. So, so it's a little it's a little in the air. I, I don't I don't have plans to leave LA, but I will at some point. Would you advise any person who's looking to get into film coming to LA, or would you suggest them staying where they're at, or going to New Orleans or Atlanta? Well. If if they if they're hell bent on being a film and television actor, if that's if that's what they're hell bent on, uh, for years I would have said come here. Um, now I would say try Atlanta, try try a smaller market where you're going to be a bigger fish or could be a bigger fish in a little pond. I would say try that first, see how you like it, and before before you you make the plunge into the ocean out here because it's not it's not the automatic that it used to be, and it's never been an automatic out here. But it's really so much runaway production in this town. The work is simply not here the way it used to be, and and the and the magnitude that it used to, it's still here. This is still the epicenter. Uh, I, I would I would advise to do as much as you can in your area of the country or world. Do as much as you can. Once you feel that you've outgrown that, 
and you're hell-bent on film and TV as an actor, then, then at that point, come out here. Don't come out here unprepared. Come out here already having done as much as you can do in your part of the world or country, and then, and then come here. And come here with, with your head screwed on straight. Know, know that you're going to have to keep your expenses low and, and um, come here with a plan. Don't come here on a whim. The first time I came here, I didn't have a good enough plan. I had to leave. And then I came back in 1999, uh, you know, well, well prepared. Right. And I was able to deal with it. So that would be my advice. Okay. All right. Um, well, Shane, this was amazing. I thank you so much for being on The Arthropologist. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we go? Uh, yeah, go to uh, PegasusFlyingFilms.com for uh, updates on, on, on all the films, when Eight Days to Hell is going to come out, where you can get it. Uh, it'll show you where you can get Tidy Thames, the other films. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Well, again, Shane, thank you so much for being on The Arthropologist. I'm going to put a link uh, both on my YouTube channel and the podcast to uh, Pegasus Film. What is it? PegasusFlyingFilms.com. <laughs> Pegasus <laughs> PegasusFlyingFilms.com. And yes. uh, I'll get, it, I'll get uh, people steered in your direction. Thank you so much for being on the show. It, it was an honor, Bill. Thank you for having me, and I had a great time. It's, it's, been, it's been wonderful. All right. Well, I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm The Arthropologist. If you enjoyed this episode of The Arthropologist, there are more episodes on YouTube. To see my work, you can visit my website, BillWilsonStudio.com, where I have my books, prints, and originals for sale. I'm a portrait painter and illustrator, and there you can contact me about commissioned work. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the anthropologist.